Okay, good evening, brothers and sisters, and welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. Uh, before we go ahead and begin, we ask all to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and merciful God in heaven, yes, yes. thank you so much for upholding our life and strength. Yes. Father, we are gathered before you once more yes. to firstly express our praise and our thanks. Yes. And we also, Father, would ask for your forgiveness. Yes. Make us worthy to study your holy words yes. and benefit fully from them. Bless all those who will join us today. Yes. May you help us to understand your will. Yes. And may you grant to us the power of your spirit. Yes. That we will be bold enough to carry out our duties before you. Amen. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right, again, thank you so much for joining our Bible History Project. We are at the tail end of the study of the book of Genesis, or before we go ahead and finish, or I should say before we go ahead and proceed with the study of this lesson today, just to backtrack a little bit, we find the people of Israel, namely Jacob and his 12 sons, are situated now in Egypt, right? And for some 400 years, they're going to prosper there in Egypt. And so if it is true that the Bible speaks of historical facts, one would expect that you will find artifacts, archaeological evidences that indeed Israel, Joseph, and Jacob, they did reside there in Egypt. It's something that we want to know about. Not because we believe the Bible only because there are extra biblical evidences, we believe the Bible simply because it's the Bible. However, it's nice to know, right? If we can look at sources outside the Bible that corroborate the teachings or the historical features of the biblical record. So let's go ahead and go back to what we studied before. Next slide, please. They did some digging. They are at a place called Avaris. They were looking for the place of the Ramses. They found it, but they could not find a location of where Joseph and the 12 tribes of Israel actually situated themselves. However, when someone gave them the suggestion to dig deeper, next slide, what did they find? They found a place called Avaris. And in that place, next slide, they found a structure. They found housing that is appropriate for someone high in ranking. However, uh, the artifacts show that the people living there did not come from Egypt, but from Canaan. And also in that very place, they found 12 tombs, right? Which probably belonged to the 12 sons of Jacob. Not only that, next slide. They also, that's the 12 tombs, by the way. Uh, let's go to the next slide. They also found artifacts, including some of the tools and some of the weapons used. And these are non-Egyptian weapons, but weapons that belong to people from Canaan. However, one of the most astounding finds in that place called Avaris was this. Next slide. It is a seal. Do you know what a seal is? During ancient times, that's what they would use to, to show the people that what they have is an official document, right? So they would put a seal either by using clay or using something else, and they would use a stamp. It's like a, like a stamp, and they would use a seal to show that this officially came from the person who authorized it. And so this is a seal that came out from avarice. Now, those who studied this piece of artifact, what did they conclude about it? In the next slide, 
In 1984, Edith Porada, a specialist in cylinder seals, published a four-page paper on this seal from Avaris. Her conclusions were similar to those of Biatak. Biatak is also a, an archaeologist, and he also studied that seal, and both of them basically made the same conclusion, calling the human figure a Syrian weather gong. The most likely candidates in the mainstream view would be Baal or the Canaanite god El. So if you go back to the seal, next slide, they're saying that this seal is not of Israel, but of some pagan origin. However, if you know the scriptures and you look at this seal, you can connect the dots and you will probably make the conclusion this represents symbols of the tribes or the 12 sons of Israel. This is why what we're going to do today is look at the biblical record, namely Genesis chapter 49, and compare what it says there with the seal that was discovered there in Everest. So let's go to Genesis chapter 49, verse 1. Before Jacob dies, what does he do and for what purpose? Genesis 49, 1 to 2, then Jacob called together all his sons and said, gather around me and I will tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. Come and listen, you sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. And so before he died, what did Jacob do? He gathered his sons together because he has an important message for all of them, right? And this message did not come simply from him. He was simply a vessel because he was in close fellowship with God. God had plans for Jacob and his people, Israel, that centers around his 12 sons. And so he gathers them together and tells them about events that will happen to them and their ancestors. And so what Jacob will say here, the messages and pronouncements that he will make, it will have a lasting impact upon the people of Israel and beyond. And so let's begin one by one with the 12 sons of Jacob or the 12 sons of Israel. Let's begin with the firstborn. His name is Reuben. Genesis 49, 3 down to 4. Reuben. So Jacob is the one speaking here, right? Can you imagine the scene? One by one, each gets uh, some kind of uh, pronouncement, some kind of blessing, some kind of message from Jacob, which is inspired by the Lord God. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters. You will no longer excel, for you went up unto your father's bed, unto my couch, and defiled it. And so according to scriptures, what message did Jacob have for Reuben? Not very good. Reuben, being the firstborn, was supposed to receive the rights of the firstborn, which would include a double portion of the possessions belonging to Jacob. But because he defiled his bed, defiled Jacob, his father's bed, when he slept with a concubine, if you still, if you still remember, that uh, blessing of the firstborn was revoked from him. Instead, what was his message? He said, you are turbulent as the waters. Waters are unstable, especially when it comes in the form of a torrentious flood, right? You see a flood 
it goes in different directions. It has turbulent powers. And so unstable as the waters would be Reuben and his tribe. This is why during the days of the judges, this is after the conquest, after the death of Joshua, how were, how were they characterized? Judges 5, 15, and 16. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak, rushing into the valley. But in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. Why did you sit at home among the sheepfolds to hear the shepherds whistle for their flocks? Yes, in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. And so the people of Reuben were characterized by their lack of decision-making. They were unstable, turbulent, unstable in all their ways, and they were indecisive. So the symbol that marked or represented Reuben was turbulent waters. And if you look at the seal, next slide, we have that. Do you see that to the right? It's a picture of not just water, but it's depicted in such a way to highlight its turbulence and its instability. And so here we have a clue that perhaps this seal actually does depict the people of Israel. Let's go to the next one. Genesis 49, 5-7. Here Jacob speaks to both Simeon and Levi. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Simeon and Levi. They were grouped together by Jacob. And what Jacob said to them was alarming. He said they should not be united ever again. Do you know why? Do you still remember? Do you still remember what Simeon and Levi did in the past? To avenge the rape of Dinah, what did they do? They killed the people of Shechem after they got circumcised. Remember that? Well, Jacob remembers it. And because of this, Jacob is displeased. In other words, God is also displeased. And the Bible says, cursed be their anger. They should never be united again. Because when you unite angry, an angry person, it leads to violence and destruction. So they should not be united. And so they will be divided in Jacob and scattered in Israel. This is Simeon and Levi. Next slide. How was this fulfilled? What I'm showing you now is a map of how the promised land, right, Canaan, the promised land, after the conquest during the time of Joshua. Remember, it wasn't Moses that led Israel to the promised land. It was who? It was Joshua. So when they finally arrived to the promised land, after the Exodus, Joshua divides the land according to the tribes, the 12 sons of Israel. You notice where Simeon's land is located? It's right smack inside Judah's. In other words, they don't really get their own land. They got absorbed by Judah. This is to prevent them from really assembling together. You notice where Levi is? Do you notice Levi? 
he doesn't get any land. Why? Because they're scattered throughout the different tribes of Israel. This was to fulfill what Jacob pronounced. They will be divided. They would be scattered. Now, if you read extra biblical sources, like the traditions and the legends of the Hebrew people that you can find some, you know, elsewhere, not from the Bible. This is what they say about Simeon and Levi. Next slide. According to rabbinical legend, the flag of Simeon bore an image of Shechem, the walls thereof. And so each of the tribes had a flag, and the flag that was used by Simeon showed the walls of the city of Shechem. Remember Shechem? That was the city that they destroyed, right? Which he and Levi destroyed. In Habani, uh, Yemenite oral tradition, Levi was symbolized by a high-flying vulture, okay? Now, of course, Levi, they do, he does, and Le the, the, Levi, the Levi tribe, they were able to redeem themselves, and eventually they became the priests. They became the priests that served on behalf of the people as they worshiped the living God. So the Levi turned out pretty good. But the Simeonites, they just kind of disappeared. Nobody knows too much about the Simeonites. Nothing much happened in that tribe. Okay, so anyways, the, the, so Simeon was associated with the symbol of the wall and Levi with a high-flying vulture. Let's go back to the seal. Do you see a wall there? Symbol of the wall at the bottom. It's a symbol of the wall in Shechem. How about a high-flying vulture? <laughs> Do you see one there? A high-flying vulture? <laughs> Next slide. There it is, right? You have to excuse Joseph for his penmanship or his drawing skills, right? But this is really amazing, though. You know, this, I, I, we believe this came from Joseph. He was depicting Israel because he's the one that is represented by the seal. He's the one who was in charge of putting this together. Whether or not he was the one who actually drew it, we don't really know. But that's how the high-flying vulture was depicted. Does it look high-flying to you? <laughs> Doesn't really look high-flying, right? But it's uh, angled in such a way to make it appear and convince you it is high-flying, okay? It's not vertical. It's horizontal. So it's flying from, uh, is that west to east, right? All right, so that's Simeon and Levi. Let's go to the next son. Genesis 49, verse 13, Zebulon will settle by the seashore and will, will be a harbor for ships. His borders will extend to Sidon. Years later, when Moses speaks to the tribes, he kind of echoes what was mentioned here, and this is what he says concerning that tribe. They summoned the people in Deuteronomy 33, verse 19, they summoned the people to the mount to offer proper sacrifices there. They benefit from the riches of the sea and the hidden treasures in the sand. So the people of Zebulon, they were business-minded, hard workers. They were traders. They traded using the sea. So they benefited from the riches of the sea. Not much really is, they were pretty... Ordinary folks, hardworking people who were really just focused not on military exploits, but everyday life, business, and commerce. And this, the, uh, their symbol then is the ship. And if we go to the seal, do we find the ship there? Yes. Do you notice what's on the ship? 
what could that be? Looks like missing teeth to me. Does it, does it look like a missing tooth? What's on that ship? Well, let's find out because closely associated with Zebulon, remember he worked the seas, his brother, Issachar, what was he known for? Genesis 49, 14 and 15. Issachar is a sturdy donkey. You know, donkeys are reliable. They can survive anywhere. Resting between two saddle packs when he sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land he will bend his shoulder to the load and submit himself to hard labor so just like zebulon issachar is a hard laborer but instead of focusing on the seas he focuses on the, the produce of the land he was a land grower perhaps a farmer and working together with zebulon what were they able to do Deuteronomy 33, 18 to 19, about the tribes of Zebulon and Issachar, he said, May Zebulon be prosperous in their trade on the sea, and may Issachar's wealth increase at home. They invite foreigners to their mountain and offer the right sacrifices there. They get their wealth from the sea and from the sand along the shore. And so Zebulon and Issachar had a partnership and in that partnership, they were able to build a pretty good business, a profitable and prosperous business with trade. What did they trade? Something that was very, very valuable. What are they? Next slide. Mushrooms. <laughs> Someone said mushrooms. You got it right. Does it look like mushrooms? It does, right? You know what? During, during the time of the ancient Egyptians, during the time of Israel, the mushrooms they were not ordinary food. Next slide. This is what, uh, next slide again. This is what uh, scholars say concerning the Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians called mushrooms sons of the gods for some reason. And plants of immortality. Consuming mushrooms was the exclusive privilege of the pharaoh and his dining companions. Hieroglyphs carved some 4,600 years ago forbid common men from even touching mushrooms because they were strictly provide only provender for the highborn. Only the highborn can eat mushrooms. The pharaoh Khufu adored truffles and made sure the royal table was always supplied with these rare desert-born uh, desert fungi. And so Issachar had them in supply. He knew people wanted them. And so in partnership with Zebulon, they had a pretty good business, right? And so let's go to the next one. Genesis 49, 16 to 18. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Then Dan shall be a serpent, by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. This is a big one. It's a two-part prophecy. The first one, verse 16, it says, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And from the tribe of Dan came the most famous of all the judges, or 13 judges. The most famous one was who? Who was the most famous judge during the days of the judges? Who was it? Samson, right? He came from the tribe of Dan. So that was fulfilled when Samson became a judge. However, there's a dark side in this prophecy because it mentions what? Serpent, right? Where did the serpent first appear? 
the snake, the snake, the serpent, the viper, the garden of Eden. Do you remember the prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15? When God spoke to the woman and said, this, your seed, the seed of the woman, there are going to be two seeds. One will inflict, uh, will strike the heel. The other will strike the head or crush the head, right? It's a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he will defeat Satan. And so it says here, this seed, the viper by the path will bite the horse's heels. He was alluding to the prophecy there in Genesis 3 verse 15. So the serpent or the devil, he's going to somehow influence Dan so that the horse, I mean the rider of the horse will fall backward. It's called apostasy. And so there's going to be an apostasy concerning the people of Israel because it was influenced by Satan. And he will use Dan. However, at the same time, the one who will prevail is not the snake, but the Lord. This is why Jacob added there, I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. So even though there's going to be a setback, people of Israel are going to go backwards. In the end, the Lord will prevail. Now, I want to talk in detail, please forgive me, about how Satan influenced Dan. Okay? So remember when the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River and entered the promised land or Canaan, the, the land was given to them according to how it was distributed through uh, Joshua, right? And so while this was being done, what happened to the tribe of Dan? Judges 18, 1 to 2. Now in those days, Israel had no king. And the tribe of Dan was trying to find a place where they could settle. For they had not yet moved into the land assigned to them when the land was divided among the tribes of Israel. So the men of Dan chose from their clans five capable warriors from the towns of Zorah and Ashtaol to scout out a land for them to settle in. When these warriors arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, they came to Micah's house and spent the night there. Here's Dan, the tribe of Dan. They were given land, right? And the land that was allotted to them was by the Mediterranean Sea. That was a pretty good piece of land. But they could not settle there. Do you know why? Do you know why they could not settle there? Because of the enemies. The uh, pagans who lived there. Because when Joshua entered the promised land, the instruction of God was very, very clear. God said to them, eradicate all of the people there that was the law of god because if not they're going to be a thorn in your back in your eyes and sure enough that's what happened the people that they were not able to remove from that place would eventually destroy them and we will see this later on as we look at the history of the people of israel so dan had a problem they could not go to the place where god assigned them to go right but if they had faith they could have just stayed there Re repented and fought the people out. But that's not what they did. What did they do? They hired five capable warriors to scout new land. And so they go for, to different places. They found a land near Micah's house. Now, this Micah is not the Micah, not the prophet, but a different Micah. Okay? So Micah is there, and they go, to their, they go to his house because they're scouting land. What did they discover there? Judges 18, 16, and 19. 
as the 600 armed warriors from the tribe of Dan stood at the entrance of the gate. The five scouts entered the shrine and removed the carved image, the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the cast idol. It's a lot of idols. <laughs> Meanwhile, the priest was standing at the gate with the 600 armed warriors. Let's pause for a while. You see, Micah hired a priest because back then only a priest or someone from the tribe of Levi can lead the worship, you know, to offer sacrifices to God. So this priest was hired by Micah and he has all these idols at home. Meanwhile, the priest was standing at the gate with the 600 armed warriors when the priest saw the men carrying all the sacred objects out of Micah's shrine. He said, what are you doing? Be quiet and come with us, they said. Be a father and priest to all of us. Isn't it better to be a priest for an entire tribe and clan of Israel than for the household of just one man, namely Micah? And so they go to Micah's house. They steal all of the idols, the ephods and all the instruments they use for worship. And the priest was watching. And the priest goes, why are you stealing all that stuff? And the people of Dan say, well, join us. We need you because you are a priest. We're not priests. Why not use your gifts, not just for this one household, use it for the entire clan or entire tribe of Dan. So what did the priest say? <laughs> That's fine now. Judges 18, 20, 23, the young priest was quite happy <laughs> to go with them. So he took along the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the carved image. They turned and started on their way again, placing their children, livestock, and possessions in front of them. When the people from the tribe of Dan were quite a distance from Micah's house, the people who lived near Micah came chasing after them. They were shouting as they caught up with them. The men of Dan turned around and said to Micah, what's the matter? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Why have you called these men together and chased after us like this? And so, can you imagine? They go to your house. I mean, first of all, they were household guests. Micah was hospitable enough to have them as a household guest. The five, right? And then these five, they tell the people of Dan, they have a lot of stuff here. Let's go take it. So they take it. They rob Micah's house. And then when Micah tries to get it back, what's the matter? That's the question they ask. What does Micah say to them? Judges 18, 24, 27. What do you mean, what's the matter? Right? Micah replied, you've taken away all the gods I have made. The idols. And you took away my my priest, and I have nothing left. Then with Micah's idols and his priests, the men of Dan came to the town of Laish, whose people were peaceful and secure. They attacked with swords and burned the town to the ground. Imagine that. They used violence. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> and so what happened after that? Uh, Genesis, uh, Judges 18, 29 to 31. They renamed the town Dan after their ancestor Israel's son, but it had originally been called Laish. Then they set up the carved image and they appointed Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, as their priest. This family continued as priests for the tribe of Dan until the exile. So Micah's carved image 
was worshipped by the tribe of Dan as long as the tabernacle of God remained at Shiloh. And so Dan and his 600 armed men, they destroyed Laish. They killed the people there and made it the the, uh, town of Dan. So they moved northward to this new place, originally called Laish. And what did they set up there? The carved images. What did they worship there? The images. And so they basically introduced and maintained idol worship. Whose influence is this? Satan, right? And let's go to the next slide. If you look at Dan, you see in Joppa, you see the, the tribe of Dan that was given to them? The, the land, they moved all the way up there. Next slide. Yeah. They moved northward. And so during the, after the, uh, the conquest, during the time of the kingdom, it was Saul. After Saul, who was it? After King Saul? David. After David, who was it? Solomon. After Solomon, who was it? The kingdom was divided, Right. And Jeroboam became the king of the north. Rehoboam became the king of the south. Where was the temple located? Jerusalem. Where they could offer worship and offer services to God. Was it the north or was it the south? Or was it? It was in the south. So Jeroboam had a big problem in his hands. And so what did he do when the kingdom was split? Let's read the book of 1 Kings 12, 28 to 30. So on the advice of his counselors, the king made two gold calves. He said to the people, it is too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem, which was in the southern kingdom. He didn't want to lose his people. He didn't want them to go to the southern kingdom, right? He, want them, he wants them to remain in the northern kingdom. Look, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. <laughs> he placed these calf idols in Bethel and in Dan. At either end of his kingdom. But this became a great sin for the people worshipped the idols. Traveling as far north as Dan to worship the one there. So the idolatry remained. It was preserved all the way to the time of the kings. And all the way to the time of the exile. And so we can see here, next slide, Satan's influence in the tribe of Dan. What did we see? Number one, greed. Did you see that? That they were greedy. What else? Next slide. Theft. Can you imagine? They stole all the household gods of poor Micah. What oppressors. They had the power. They had the authority. And they picked on people that they can pick on who had no power. Right? What else? They had a seared conscience. The, the, Micah was kind enough to be so hospitable as to let them stay overnight. And this is how they, he was repaid. Next slide. What else? Convinced that their worship was approved by God, even when what they practiced was evil. And the reason why they believed that was because, hey, we have a legitimate priest. Why is he legitimate? Why do they believe he was appointed by God? Because he's from the tribe of Levi. We bought him. <laughs> and so they're upholding a religion, which they say is true because, hey, it is appointed by God. It doesn't matter if what they're practicing is wrong and evil. It's still approved by God. What else? Next slide. Idolatry, which they were able to set up because of the violence that they have practiced. So all of this was the influence of who? 
Satan. Does this look familiar to you? <laughs> it looks familiar to you, the work of Satan. The fingerprints of Satan, greed, theft, seared conscience, wrong religion, idolatry, violence. It was all done before. It's how Dan become, became influenced by Satan and introduced Israel to idolatry. And, and Israel and Judah fell. They went backward because of apostasy. All because of Satan's influence on Dan. Just find Revelation chapter 7, 4 down to 8. In Revelation 7, 2 to 3, it talks about the messenger, right? And about the seal of God. And it's connected to how many were already sealed, the 12 tribes, the first group of people to be called inside the church to receive the Spirit of God. Were, how many were sealed? 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. From Judah, 12,000. From Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. From Asher, 12,000. From Naphtali, 12,000. From Manasseh, 12,000. From Simeon, 12,000. From Levi, 12,000. From Issachar, 12,000. From Sebulon, 12,000. From Joseph, 12,000. From Benjamin, 12,000. Who's missing there? You notice Dan is not there? Dan is not there. I wonder why. Could it be because of the idolatry? Could it be because of the influence of Satan? Maybe. It doesn't say, right? But what we know is not there for some reason. You also don't notice who's missing? Who's also missing? Manasseh is there. Who's his brother? But why is Ephraim not there? I wonder why. First uh, Kings 12, 28, 30. Remember when the king made two gold calves? He set one up in Dan and another one where? In Bethel. Where's Bethel? Next slide. You know, Manasseh is there, but where's Bethel? Next slide. In Ephraim. <laughs> you notice the places where the, the king Jeroboam set up the two calves, golden calves. And Dan and Bethel, they were not included in Revelation 75. Could that be a coincidence? I don't know. I just wanted to point that, point that out. Okay, you draw your own conclusion. But one thing we can certainly conclude is idolatry leads to apostasy. Idolatry will bring the wrath of our almighty God. This is why if we are in danger of idolatry, do something about that. And idolatry is not simply the worship of some, uh, some image. It's also the worship of a person. A religious leader can become an idol. And so when there's danger of idolatry, when someone takes the glory that belongs to God for himself, we have to say no, no, because we want to preserve our registry in the book of life in heaven, right? This is why you got to be careful when it comes to idolatry. You don't mess with idolatry. God is specifically peeved. It's really, really upset when it comes to idolatry, especially when we worship people more than we worship him. So the influence behind that was the serpent or the snake. Next slide. If we go back to the seal, we see the snake. What does that represent? Dan. So after Dan, who else? Genesis 49 verse 19. Gad will be attacked by marauding bands, but he will attack them when they retreat. That's all they said about Gad. But when you look at the, the, the meaning of the word Gad, next slide, it means good fortune. Because Leah named him Gad, for she said, how fortunate I am. Something about Leah, if you still remember when we studied Leah and Rachel, how different they were, 
right? Rachel was always sad. But Leah, even though she was enduring a lot of pain, she was always cheerful. She was always looking to God and placing her trust in God. That's one of the things that we love about Leah, even though she was not the chosen of Jacob. Um, nevertheless, God loved Leah, right? And so Gad was called the fortunate one. And back in the ancient days, a symbol for fortune, you know what it is? Next slide. An upside down mushroom. <laughs> yeah, it was a symbol of fortune, good fortune, because the mushroom was, was supposed to be from the gods. So if it's upside down, it's from heaven. So you're getting good fortune from heaven. <laughs> so his symbol was uh, an upside down mushroom. Now, who else comes after Gad? In Genesis 49, verse 20, out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. <laughs> Interesting. His bread shall be fat. In other words, he will be known for food that is associated with fat. Okay? How many here are on the keto diet? Keto diet. Keto. Anyone here on the keto diet? Because when you are on the keto diet, 70% of your macronutrients come from what? Fat. They say, choose the good fat, bad fat. What's the good fat? Oils. Olive oil is the best fat, right? And so this uh, Asher is associated with oil, with fat. And Moses adds to that in Deuteronomy 33, verse 24. Moses said this about the tribe of Asher. May Asher be blessed above other sons. May he be esteemed by his brothers. May he bathe his, oil, his feet in olive oil. And so the symbol... The symbol associated with Asher is olive oil, olive, olives. And if you go to the seal, do you see anything related to olives? Huh. You got to give it to Joseph, right? He's a good artist. <laughs> what do you see? You see an olive, an olive branch with eight olive leaves? You know why eight olive leaves? Because Asher is the eighth son. <laughs> Those are olive leaves. If you Google an image of olive leaves, it looks just like that. <laughs> right? So after Asher, who's, who's next? Genesis 49, verse 21. Naphtali. It's spelled N-A, not N-E. Where's Kanep? <laughs> but Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. And so Naphtali is associated with a deer. A deer is swift on his feet, always ready for action, not lazy, right? That's a deer. And he also uses beautiful words, and nothing can be more beautiful than the gospel, all right? And so what could that mean? I mean, how was this fulfilled? In Isaiah chapter 9, 1 down to 2, the prophet Isaiah picks up on this and he says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali will be humble, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. People who walk in darkness will see a great light. 
for those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light, a light will shine. The Bible says he's likened to a deer and spreading words, beautiful words. And the prophet Isaiah says, Naphtali, he will be humbled, but there is hope because time will come when Naphtali will see glory. It will be filled with glory. It so happens Naphtali is Galilee. Okay? Galilee. And in Galilee, what happened there? Oh, a lot of things happened there. Next slide. All Jesus' disciples, did you know? All of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, except for Judas, who betrayed him, by the way, if you don't know that, came from where? Galilee. That's where Christ started his ministry. And much of Jesus' ministry took place in Galilee. That's why he's also called Jesus of Galilee, right? And so that was the prophecy fulfilled. And so his symbol is a deer. Let's go to the artist's rendition of a deer. Next slide. There it is, deer, <laughs> right? Uh, Joseph's a good artist. Hey, I mean, he, he didn't have the tools that we have now, <laughs> right? He probably was using stone or something. I don't know. So who's next? Let's go to his favorite, Jacob's favorite, right? What's his name? Gen Benjamin. Genesis 49, verse 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> ravenous wolf. In the morning, he shall devour the prey, and at night, he shall divide the spoil. So Benjamin is called a ravenous wolf. What do we know about a ravenous wolf? They are powerful. They are bold. They're not afraid of anything. The greater the foe, the more they want the fight. They will not give up a fight, right? A ravenous wolf. These are warriors. So Benjamin, the youngest was known for his ferocity. And turns out there were some notable Benjamites throughout the history of the Bible. Who are they? Next slide. There was Ehud. He delivered Israel. When Israel was, before Israel became a nation during the days of the judges, when the Moabites were persecuting Israel, Ehud, a great judge, the second judge of Israel, came to the rescue. When they became a nation, who was the instrument? Saul. He was also a Benjamite, and he was a warrior, right? And there was Esther. Because of her boldness, she was instrumental in preventing the genocide of Israel. And, of course, there was the one who conquered the Gentile world through the gospel because of his boldness. Who was that? Apostle Paul. These were all Benjamites. And you notice the boldness that they have. Warriors, especially the Apostle Paul, because of him, many Gentiles converted to Christianity and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And how else is Benjamin described? Deuteronomy 33, uh, 12, Moses adds to that about Benjamin. He said, let the beloved of the Lord Rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long. And the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. And so the Bible says, Benjamin will rest upon the shoulders of God. What are, how many shoulders do you have? Two, right? Two shoulders. To what are they likened to? Next slide, Deuteronomy 33, 12. About the tribe of Benjamin, he said, the Lord's, 
beloved people will live securely with him. The Lord will shelter them all day long since he too lives on the mountain slopes. So the shoulders of God, likened to mountain slopes, will support who? Benjamin. And let's look at this. The seal. Do you see anyone supported by two mountain slopes? You see some? <laughs> Who's that? Benjamin. That's the symbol of Benjamin. So, so far we have 10. All right? Two more left. Oh, two more left. Who's left? Judah. Joseph. Let's go to Joseph first before we go to the next, the last one. In Genesis 49, verse 22, it says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. So jo Joseph was associated with prosperity and fruitfulness. So fruitful, his branches climb over a wall. So it goes, you cannot measure the prosperity of Joseph. This is what uh, Jacob says concerning him and his future. And when it comes to how much land was given to him and his ancestors, go to the next slide, because Joseph got a double portion. He had Manasseh and who? Ephraim, right? Do you see the, the land Manasseh has? It's the biggest one. You see it? No one is as big as Manasseh. Add to that who? Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh. So when it comes to the land... When it comes to manpower, who had the most? It was Joseph through Ephraim and Manasseh. But do you remember in our last Bible study that uh, Jacob said that who was blessed with the right hand? Who would be greater, Ephraim or Manasseh? It was Ephraim, right? Ephraim. But when you look at the physical blessing, who is being blessed more? Seems like Manasseh, right? Those are the physical blessings. Spiritual blessings, different. You know why? From Ephraim. You know who came from Ephraim? Next slide. Five. Five of the 13 judges were from Ephraim. Like who? Gideon, Abimelech, Jer, Jephthah, and the greatest one of all. Who is that? Samuel, the founder of the School of the Prophets. Not only that, next slide. Another famous Ephraimite. Joshua. Joshua. The one who followed after Moses. He was the one who replaced Moses as the leader of the people of Israel. So that's uh, Joseph. What else does Jacob say concerning uh, Joseph? Genesis 49, 23-26. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber. Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helped you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all the rest on the head, let all these rest on the head of Joseph. On the brow of the prince among his brothers. That's pretty nice. Joseph said, I mean, Jacob said concerning Joseph, archers attacked him with hostility. Who are these archers? His brothers, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar himself, right? 
they, they uh, attacked him with hostility. And even though he was attacked, he still had a strong bow. What is that telling you? He could have acted in revenge. He had the bow. He, could, he had the power to avenge what happened to him. To get back at Potiphar, Potiphar and, Jacob's, uh, and his brothers, right? But he did not do that. Why? Because he relied on the power of God. And because of this, God will bless him. And indeed, he was blessed by God. In fact, the blessing that was given to Joseph was immensely, immensely prolific. In fact, it was majestic. And because of the majestic character of how Joseph would become, what does the Bible say about him? What is he associated with? Deuteronomy 33, verse 17, in majesty, in majesty, he is like what? A firstborn bull, his horn to the horn of a wild ox. With them he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim, such are the, ten, the, the thousands of Manasseh. He's likened to a bull with two, two horns that symbolize two powers, Manasseh and Ephraim, right? Ten thousands of Ephraim, he was the greater one, and thousands of Manasseh. And so because of the majesty that he would acquire, because of the blessings that God would give him, he would be likened to a firstborn bull. Do you remember a bull in the seal? Let's go to the seal. There's the bull. He's protecting who? Who is that to his right? His favorite. He's over who? Who is the, who is the, the waters there? Who represents the water, turbulent water? Reuben. He was supposed to be the firstborn. But who received the blessing of the firstborn? Joseph. That's why he's on top of? The water protecting who? His favorite. Who's that? Benjamin. Right? This is why the seal makes a lot of sense, don't you think? I think this is really a seal about who? Israel, right? But there's one more. One more that we forgot all about. Who was that? Judah. Let's go to Judah. Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah. He's speaking to Judah. Judah. And actually, this is... Notice this is Genesis 49.8. I skipped Judah. Judah was after uh, Simeon and Levi, right? So the first one was Reuben, bad news. Simeon, bad news. Levi, bad news. Because they all did something bad. Judah, it was his idea to sell Joseph, right? Mm -hmm. But in actuality, he only did that to avert the murder of who? Joseph, mm -hmm. right? And so he's next. And so I guess they were anticipating bad news for Judah, and all of a sudden, Jacob changes his tune. Curse, curse, curse. Number four, Judah, it's your turn. Judah, this is what he says. Your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Hmm. What he says there is very interesting. He says, your brothers will praise you. Remember, the name Judah means praise. And Jacob, speaking to Judah, as re revealed by God, says, your brothers, time will come when they will praise you. How will they praise him? They will bow before you. Now, who do you bow to during that time, during the ancient times, even during today? Who do you bow to? 
God, right? You bow to a king, right? Why did Jacob say, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your relatives will bow before you. Jacob is sharing a prophecy here, a prophecy. What is that? How, why will they bow to him? 49.9, Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. So Judah is likened to what? Like, what do they say about lions? Yeah, they're the king. They're kings of beasts. The kings of the jungle. So Judah is likened to a lion because in Judah, God is going to give something. What is that? Next slide, please. Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. And so why is it likened to a, to a lion, to a king? Because from the tribe of Judah would be given the scepter and the ruler's staff. In other words, the royal tribe is Judah. The priestly tribe is Levi. But the royal tribe from which will come the kings that will rule the people of Israel, that would be Judah. Which is why David is from the tribe of Judah. As well as Solomon is from Judah. Many kings came from the line of Judah. And it will remain coming from Judah until the one, the one to whom it belongs will come. I wonder who that one is. Any idea who could that be? Hebrews 7 verse 14. What I mean is our Lord. Who's, what Lord is that? Christ. Our Lord came from the tribe of Judah. Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This is why Christ coming from Judah, what was he also known as? Revelation 5 verse 5, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open a scroll and its seven seals. And so the prophecy there given to Judah is a prophecy not about the priestly line, but the royal line. And not only that, from him will come forth the Messiah, the Lion of Judah. And when he comes, the Bible says there will be victory for the people of you know how the victory was characterized? Let's go back to Genesis 49, 11 and 12. Jacob continues and adds, He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. So after the, the king comes, the king, the lion of Judah comes, what would become of Israel? Right there. Tether his donkey to a vine, the colt to the choicest branch. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> you know, during the days of Israel, the donkey, the colt, they were valuable animals. Right? And the vine, the branches of the vine, that's also valuable. But when you tether a donkey to a vine, you know what's going to happen? You're going to mess up the vine. 
and you're going to lose the animal. So you're going to ruin two expensive things. But if you're so prosperous, doesn't matter. <laughs> if you're so prosperous, you can even wash your garments with wine. And so it's hyperbole the Bible's using to show how ridiculously prosperous the people of God are going to be after the coming of the king, the lion of Judah. Was that depicted in the seals? Next slide. Yeah. Right there. The lion. I don't know. Now, when you look at all these clues, do you still think this is about a Syrian god? I think when you look at the different clues there, I believe this is proof that what the Bible said concerning Joseph and the 12 tribes of Israel prospering there in Goshen, in the land of the Ramses. Not only was that stated in the Bible, we now have evidence it actually took place. Just why we believe the Bible speaks the truth about the past. It is a historical document as well. It's a historical book, right? But the one thing probably on your mind is this. How many of you were expecting that Messiah will come from the tribe of Joseph? How many? I did. I guess all of us did, right? But who did he choose? Judah. Why did he choose Judah? I don't know. You have to ask God. <laughs> but maybe when God decided to choose Judah, it may be because of his love for Leah. Maybe. Let's put that to the test, okay? I'm not saying that's the case. I cannot speak for God. We have to ask God. I don't know. But remember when Leah was mistreated by uh, Jacob, is it Jacob? When he was mistreated, how did she feel? She felt really bad, right? She felt really bad. And who has a soft place in his heart for people who are oppressed and mistreated? God does. This is why if we go back, Genesis 29, 31, 35, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, ouch. I remember that. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. And so Judah, the name Judah, means praise. But despite what she was feeling, the loneliness, she praised who? Our Lord God. Brethren, there's power in praise. Something God remembers when we praise him, even when we don't feel like praising him. Just like what happened to Paul and Silas in Acts 16, 25 to 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, they were, there was a violent earthquake which shook the prison to its foundations. At once, the doors opened and the chains fell off all the prisoners. Here was Paul and Silas. They were in a dungeon. They were chained up. Not exactly a time for praise, right? 
I mean, look at their circumstance. They were in a prison. What do you do in a prison? You complain, you cry, you go, woohoo. Why did this happen to me? What did they do? What did they do? They prayed. Not only did they pray, they what? They praised God. They sang hymns to our Almighty God. When we are able to praise God, even when we have difficult circumstances in our life, it's powerful. It moves God in a powerful way. Look what happened when they did that. What happened? The foundation of the prison shook. At once, all the doors were open. And the chains fell off all the prisoners. Called a miracle. Right? God remembers when you praise Him, and especially when you praise Him when things are not going well. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe something terrible happened to you. But you still take the time, Lord, even if this happened to me, I still thank you and I still praise you. That means a lot to God. We glorify God all the more. That's why as people of God, brethren, we don't know what is in store for us. No matter what will happen, can we make this promise to God in the final passage of our study? Psalms 34, 1 down to 4. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will constantly speak of his glories and grace. I will boast of all his kindness to me. Let all who are discouraged take heart. Let us praise the Lord together and exalt his name. For I cried to him and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Can we make that promise to God? That no matter what circumstance we're facing, whether it's good or bad, if we are facing something overwhelming that brings fear and worry in our hearts, if bad news seems to be the norm in our life, are we still able to say to God, Lord, thank you. I boast of all your kindness. If we're able to do that, even during dire circumstances in our life, God will remember that. He will never, ever forget that. That means a lot to our Father. Usually when people praise Him, it's because of good news. But if you can praise Him, even if there's no good news, even if you're suffering, God will never forget that. He will remember that, and He will honor you. So my brethren, let's keep that in our mind. We don't know what else we're going to face from here until we reach the promised land, the kingdom of heaven. No matter what we will face, let us remember, no matter what, we will praise and glorify our God. We will boast of all his kindness to each and every one of us. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray. Everlasting Father, how can we thank you, O God? the blessings to give to us. Lord, the truth is the grace that you have manifested in our life is too many for us to count. This is why we say in advance, no matter what happens in our life, we will praise you. We will thank you. We will worship you. Lord, be with us. Yes. That's the one thing we cannot endure. Yes. If ever time will come, you will leave us. Yes. We can endure all things, oh God, yes. suffering and pain, but we cannot endure losing you. Yes. Remain by the side of your people. 
Be with us always, Father. And when we call upon you in prayer, remove the fears in our hearts. Give us the peace that we need. We promise you, Father, no matter what, we will forever worship and praise your highest name. Remember your people here. We have made this vow long ago. And this is what we aim to do. We will do our best to please you in every aspect of our life. Every time we have the opportunity, we will worship you together. We will glorify you, O God, during times when we commit sin. Please forgive us, Father. Teach us to renew our life and to fix our eyes upon you, to lead holy lives that glorify your holy name, our Lord Jesus Christ. You are the Lion of Judah. You have given us victory. What awaits your servants is victory. What awaits your servants is the prosperity you have promised in the kingdom that you have prepared. Help us to endure until the end, that we can have our share, that we can be with you, sharing everlasting life that that is promised by our Father. Oh God, we thank you so much for listening to each one of us. Remember those who are being oppressed. Remember those who are afflicted with various diseases. Those who have been falsely imprisoned. We rely upon your mighty power. May you please perform your miracle because we depend on you and we praise you always. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. We ask everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.